episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, CEO and founder of Project Purple. And today we're sitting down with two special guests and we're at a special offsite location. I've got in front of me pancreatic cancer survivor Ray Barbera and his son Michael Barbera of Barbera Associates here in Worcester, Massachusetts, or I should say Worcester? How do you pronounce it, guys? You got it right, Dino. Worcester? Worcester. Worcester, Worcester Mass. You can drop that R if you want to be up Worcester Mass. And we do have a Dunkin' Donuts pretty close by. So there's nothing more New England than Worcester and Dunkin' Donuts. And I saw Panera has the lobster rolls, or it's lobster. Is it lobster? Lobster, lobster rolls. Guys, thanks for having us uh, as our special guest here. And thanks for being our special guest on the Project Purple podcast, so we appreciate it. Thank you for having us, uh, very much looking forward to our discussion. Awesome, awesome. So, Ray, for our listeners at home, you've got an amazing story. We were introduced to each other by a mutual friend uh, who was, I just learned, was Mike's roommate when he studied abroad, but then also there's another mutual friend, one of our first, and I don't know if I told you guys the story, so you were treated, and I'm giving our audience a little bit of a, of a prequel to your story, but Dr. Jim Mosier, I call him Jim, I know he goes by James, uh, up at Beth Israel, he was actually one of our first uh, grantee recipients from research at Project Purple. He was, I think, third or second, which is pretty fascinating. So we had donated to Jim's program when he just got to Beth Israel. So that just gives you some history uh, of Dr. Mosier and our relationship, but just kind of this small, like kind of, you know, we can sit back and connect the dots or, you know, six degrees of separation. So uh, kind of a small, fascinating mm-hmm. world here that we're in, you know, I, I, it's pretty wild to sometimes when you sit back and peel back the layers. But for our audience at home, love to hear, you know, your story about what brings you here on our podcast. And you and feel free, you can give us as much or as little as you want. <laughs> okay. Um, well, again, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to share my story. And I guess the one thing I'd, I'd have to say to anybody who is diagnosed with this disease or any loved ones who have been diagnosed with this disease is the one thing I would, I would ask you very heartily to do is not sit down on the recliner and prepare to die. That's the last thing. That's the last piece of advice I would want to give to anybody. That's the initial reaction when you're diagnosed with pancreatic cancer was, in fact, the exact words when Dr. Moser told me over the phone that he believed I had pancreatic cancer was, my response was, I'm a dead man. Those were my first response. We talked for a few minutes after that, got on the phone with my wife. The first thing my wife said was, "Hun, we got this. We talked for a few minutes. After we hung up, I've got to say, that comment about being a dead man was the last negative thought I've ever had about my diagnosis. Move forward from there. That's the way I took it. The way I handled my disease was, humor is a, a really big component in my family. And we joke about everything. And pancreatic cancer was no exception. I was diagnosed with stage three pancreatic cancer. Stage three? Stage three. Uh, it was just barely on the vessels, but it absolutely, absolutely was a stage three cancer. But again, it was a smaller cancer. So um, the first thing I thought about when I, I was told the size of the cancer, I, I decided to name my tumor and I called it a junior tumor. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the approach that we took to all of our dealings with this, this, this disease. 
I'd be in the chemotherapy room and they'd be um, giving giving me chemotherapy and they would change the bag every every few minutes, every couple hours. I had about six or eight hours of chemo on a, on a session and they would always ask you to confirm your name. So when they asked me, I would say Donald Trump, George Washington, John Quincy <laughs> Adams. Uh, so humor, again, humor is just a huge part of it. The first day of our treatment, let me give you one little other snippet. Mike and Allison had called in, my son Michael and my daughter Allison had called in to see how the treatment was going. So uh, my reply was, I'm sitting in my recliner, sipping on chemo and munching on Lona Dunes. And that's, that's kind of the approach that, that we took it. We, we took it as a, uh, something that, I guess I want to say I didn't treat the disease with a lot of respect. I never let it grab the hold of me. And I have such a great family and I have a great network of friends that this whole component of humor just fed into this so naturally. And that was my approach that this is gonna, isn't going to take a piece out of me. I am just going to push forward on this. To give you an example, I would have my chemotherapy on a Monday. By Friday, I was running four miles. I'd run my four miles the next seven, eight days. I'd have chemo. I'd be off two days, and I'd be back on the track. Not very fast like you. Folks are trying to <laughs> oh, we don't, we're, we don't win races. We just finish them. Let me, let me preface that, uh, Mike and Ray. Like, that's not, I, I saw here in your, uh, the information you gave me, and I, I was, it's good that you brought up the miles. So now were you, prior to being, being diagnosed, and for our listeners at home, you're in great shape. You've got the history buff shirt with the, the jacked, Abe Lincoln here, but that could be you because you've got you've got your muscular guy here. Were you in shape prior to being diagnosed? It's funny you say that. I'm starting this January marks 50 years of running for me. I started in 1968. Wow. I used to be I would have been more in the category of the runners that you deal with. I used to run six, eight, ten, twelve, thirteen miles, and that was fairly often during a week or uh, like on a, at one time. I, I would run my, my my weekly running would often be 35, 40 miles. Wow. So I would run uh, generally six or eight miles during the day most days. I'm going back a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would run 10, 12, 13 miles on this. I never did marathons. I'd run that on a Sunday. Um, I just, funny, it's funny you say that. I just had a shirt made and it says slow and steady. And that's been me. It's <laughs> Wins got, the it's race. Got a tortoise running the yeah. race. And, but yeah, I, I was always running. I mean, during high school, I played football and I was a, a captain of my tennis team. I was a pretty good athlete back in the day, but that was 70 pounds ago. Now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a svelte 235 pounds at 5'7". Uh, so you I, wear I, it well. <laughs> you wear it well. Yeah, but I, so, you know, it's evolved. I was a, a much more, I won't say competitive, but I was much faster and I ran a lot more miles. And uh, now I wear knee braces and ankle braces. Yeah. I use a little duct tape and bailing wire to hold the whole body together. But uh, it works. I, do, I run three days a week now and I only run about uh, three miles at a shot. But Michael and I have a good weightlifting uh, regimen the other three days of the week. I've had to cut back because at age, uh, I'll be 65 in January. So the body has taken a has taken a bit of a toll. So Mike and I lift uh, three mornings a week. I can't keep up with him either, but uh, but yeah. we still have a nice uh, So we lift, I lift three days and run three days. So I've always been active. Uh, so you've been always active. been active. Always so this active. wasn't anything new. And no. so I, I've got a question and uh, I'm going to ask Mike the same thing. So... For audience listening at home, you mentioned, you know, just the, the humor is what got you. But, you know, there was that one thought. Was there a moment or was there something where that mindset? Because you said, well, you know, Dr. Mosher calls and you go, oh, crap. You know, and then you called your wife and she said, hey, we're going to beat this. So was it maybe the call or was there a moment there where you were by yourself where you, that mindset, because that's really a mindset change, right? Absolutely. Like we did. And I talk to a lot of people about mindset, you know, and I really fascinating that. And I, I truly believe this. And I think with running, we see this. This is probably in, clearly in your case as well, where, you know, you 
I was just at a race this past weekend and there was a guy with one leg who passed me like that's mind over matter, you know, um, you know, and I've seen amazing feats at marathons, blind people, you know, people with no legs, people with no limbs, you know, make getting it done. We've seen that, you know, on the news naturally people do amazing things. So I'm always really fascinated by that. Like, well, so what is that? So what was there something in there? Because that's, this is real stuff here. You know, this is, this is life or death. Right. And what was it that made that mind shift change? And I know that we're well, really well uh, because of our family history. Let me interject something that I didn't mention there earlier. My brother Ted, um, a wonderful person, uh, great human being, fantastic musician, teacher for 40 years, one of the best teachers in the city of Worcester. He passed away from pancreatic cancer. So what I want to say is my first thought when Dr. Moser told me that, that I have pancreatic cancer, I thought of my brother, brother. Ted. That was my first thought. How old was your brother when he my died? My brother was 64, same age, same age, just wow. about the age I am right now. And he was the only other family member in the family? My uh, grandfather who passed, who passed away, away that I never really knew about until my brother, Ted, did some investigating. He was probably similar to Dr. Moser in his IQ. I'm sure he's immense. My brother yeah. was a very, very intelligent man. And, uh, and he, Just uh, to clarify, Ted didn't pass away from pancreatic cancer. He did not. Right. But he had he pancreatic cancer. Yeah. He actually, like, my, like me, my brother Ted was very fortunate, though. He had a very involved cancer. I think he had a stage four. He had virtually all of his um, uh, pancreas removed. And he was being treated down in Florida. He had a very pinpoint laser um, program and he had done very well even though he did lose 100 pounds uh, he was doing very well and the, the cancer was gone there was no detectable pancreatic cancer and he unfortunately died of a stroke uh-huh. as the body had been weakened over the years but he actually like me he had at this point we had both uh, we had both beaten the disease so I guess what to get to your to your question um, I thought about that initially and then after my wife and I spoke we've been married 40 years in September very close relationship and when we spoke um we spoke about this. I, you know, I, what's in the back of my mind is my son Michael and my daughter Allison, and I, I said, "This is uh, this disease is not going to take me from them." So my family was my biggest motivation in in this in this battle that I've had. And then, I, as as I said, the humor is such a big part. When my family gatherings take place, all you hear is laughter. And we're an Italian family, and. Uh, uh, they like to drink a lot of wine. I'm a beer drinker. <laughs> <laughs> they like to drink a lot of wine, and we, and we have a we have a lot of laugh and a lot of laughs, and um, humor is just a huge part. So I guess the idea of my family being there and, and they count on me for certain certain things, not so much um, just for the support that we all have as a family. We're very close, and that was not I wasn't going to allow this disease to interfere with uh, with my life and uh, take me away from my family. So uh, my approach was. Uh, that's it. We're moving forward. Uh, we're going to laugh and joke about this, and uh, we're going to be done with it. And that's really what's happened in my case, so fortunately. That's good stuff. That's great stuff. Mike, so from the caregiver perspective, let's let's shift gears here for a second. So your dad gets this diagnosis, gets the phone call. What is it like for you when you get, and how did that happen? Did, did you read, do you probably knew what was going on? I know you said before you were involved off mic that we were talking off the microphone, not yeah. the mic itself. <laughs> but as we talked before we got out here live on the show, um, you know, we talked a little bit about being there and Ray had said that you were there for everything, just like I was there for my dad. So, you know, what is, what's that like? So, I mean, of course, the initial diagnosis is anybody, many people are, are vaguely familiar with this particular type of cancer as a cancer that's fast. Uh, very fast moving and with a very um, not a very promising outlook. Right? Yeah. So even uh, at that stage and, and leading up to this, of course, uh, in discussing with doctors, we had known that there was potentially pancreatic cancer. So 
Um, one of the major distinctions, I think, between the rest of our nuclear family and my dad is that you know, we all were spending way more, more time on Google than we probably should have been, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in WebMD and in figuring out all these things and reading all the horrible statistics where he, is, he had chosen to forgo that completely uh, as he... Not a big fan of uh, the internet. <laughs> yeah. You're a tough guy to track down on social media. Right? You're not there. <laughs> I'm not there. Smart. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, we sort of had these statistics, but it wasn't really discussed. And, and you know, the, the the medical team that we were working with didn't, uh, despite a lot of uh, sort of requests. You know, it wasn't really forthcoming with statistics. So, just uh, there's a little bit of a, a dichotomy there between myself, my sister, and my mom. Who are like, you know, we know these statistics, and my father is just. He really kind of approached it like, a, you know, like a, a broken knee or something, you know, almost like a mechanical injury or something that was, all right, well, you know, we'll get through this. And as soon as we're done with it, then, you know, we'll kind of forget about it. And, and our family was was fortunate in that my, my mom was diagnosed with a brain tumor 18 years ago. Wow. And so, you know, and she kind of bounced back from it quickly. I think I was a, maybe a sophomore in high school at the time. And, um, you know, seeing someone with a diagnosis like that, which, again, is, is, is sort of equally ominous. Um, and she got right through it and she's cancer free to this day. And it was just like, all right, well, you know, she did that. He can do this. And, and it was, there was sort of this unified, uh, feeling that what are we going to do when this is over? You know, when this is done, that was sort of the emotional, the, the overall the sort of governing mentality in our family, I would say. Um, on the flip side, there's also the, the logistics and the reality. And, and somehow, I guess thinking back now, I hadn't really thought this through before, but you know, the business side, he, he runs his own small business, um, clearly wasn't able to do that. And, you know, I had to adapt and, and help out with, with those efforts. And it was sort of like, you know, in some ways, when I think back to preparing the business, it was almost as if it, we didn't have the outcome that we did. You know, so some of the things were done for when he returned and some of the things were done for if he was unable to return, either incapacitated or, or of course, the worst case scenario. So I guess I, it's uh, there was a certain uh, almost two distinct tracks where emotionally I think we were all emotionally it was just well, of course yeah he'll be there and I envisioned at the time I, I was engaged you know, like in, I actually wasn't engaged at the time no, not at the time. I wasn't no um, yeah so I was getting close to that point I guess um, you know I'm thinking fast forwarding you know marriage grandchildren all these things and yeah of course I'll be there for that yeah. and then on the on the other side coming to the office in the morning and you know work the company build build his yeah. company uh, in addition to, to my own in a way where it would sustain without him there. So I guess I never really thought that through. Um, but do you think that helped? So like to, for our listeners at home, so you guys have been together in business for how long? I mean, Ray, you, you we just talked off prior to the show, you were a teacher, then you got into real estate, had a very successful real estate career. Michael follows suit. And now you guys are together here running the organization together. Um, and how long has that happened? Well, with Michael, let me just back up just a little bit. Yeah. Michael and Allison, my daughter Allison, actually worked for me in our real estate endeavors from the time they were eight years old. Oh, so they were entrenched in the family Absolutely. business. Absolutely. Yeah. But actually, uh, so that was that was what we did for the many years. And then uh, when Mike was in high school, Michael got his real estate license. Actually, he was a licensed real estate agent before he graduated from, awesome. from high school. That's cool. Then he was off in college for a yeah. few years and uh, came back full tilt. But I didn't mean that. No, no. Yeah, so, so the business relationship was a little bit at that point, about 2008, he started a property management company yeah. that was run separately from this company. And that's, uh, we talked a little earlier. Yeah. About, uh, that's when I took over the management ownership of this company, of the, the real, real estate, estate brokerage. Company. So they were run as two separate companies. Um, but 
you know, we work out of the same office and, and, yeah. and we see each we, other a lot. Exactly. And we, uh, you know, we always uh, uh, count on each other's counsel for, for the different things. So they're loosely, loosely related, but not intrinsically connected in any way, really. Um, do you think, so like going through this though, I mean, cause those are hard conversations to have, especially from a business perspective. And now ask both you guys these questions, ask both you guys to respond. Do you think that might've helped in decision-making because like, you know, pancreatic cancer is life or death, let's face it. Right. And there's some heavy decisions that have to be made potentially. And on the business side, there's heavy decisions that are made, especially when a partner or someone who's a key employee within the firm has to take a step back. So do you think that helped a bit in helping with those decisions, even though they're, they're totally 180 degrees from each other in terms of how they impact, but they also are very similar in scope and how that's done. You know, so maybe that, you know, I, I, I tend to find that, you know, families don't tend to have those types of conversations often. Like no one talks about life and death, right? Like that's not a conversation, like living will or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what should we do if this happens? Like, you know, when you go to do these procedures, as minor as they may be, they scare the bejeebus out of you that, hey, you may not come out of this procedure, even if it's to put in your port right? Like there's complications that can happen. You can stroke out on the table. There's so many things like infection, right? So do you think like having that business relationship was helpful in having those business conversations you know, to like, hey, like, okay, if you don't come in tomorrow, someone has to pay the, or you don't come in in a week, like, how are the bills getting paid? Who's paying the bills? Like, what account are we taking this? Like, who needs to, who needs to change the light bulbs? You know, like we were saying, like, who do I call to do these? So is that helpful, you know, in helping maybe some of these other decisions, even though they're totally on two different ends of the spectrum in terms of decision, like what, how that impacts, but they're also very similar. I got to say, let me, I'll let you get into this in a second, but the way it was handled was when I was when I became unable to after my surgery and I came, became unable to do the day to day. Basically, Michael said, "I've got it," and that was it. it. There was no, there was it was seamless, it was flawless, it was a huge load on Michael, but um, there was no effort required on my part. I sat home, I sat on the couch for two months after my surgery and watched every Law and Order that was ever produced. <laughs> and Michael took the full reins right. um, and ran this completely. Never, don't worry, not even, wouldn't even talk about it. It was all set. And I was, I was content not to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure at that point. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was relaxed and I've never taken so much time off in my life. Even now, I think, yeah. I think we'll be married 40 years during the night of September. God bless her. And we're going to be taking a week off. And that's, that's a big week for me. I, you know, generally it's a couple of days here and there. Yeah. Once or twice a year. But Michael, flawlessly, seamlessly, took this over and it was very difficult because he has a big company to run here and then yeah. running my company, which is very, uh, in the in the days when I worked it was 70, 80 hours a week off and at, at the peaks. Yeah. And we'd ratchet down to 40 or 50, but it was a huge mental responsibility and I, uh, I, I didn't even think about it. I knew I was going to get better and come back, but during that interim time when I was incapacitated, there was no worry at all. And I, I, let me mention also my daughter, Allison, who worked with Michael too. She lives in Rhode Island. She's a makeup artist. Uh, she runs a company. She does weddings. She does PBS shoots in Harvard. And she oh. does a lot of, uh, she has a pretty good crew that she works with. And uh, she worked with Michael quite, even though she wasn't physically here, she did a lot of things, you know, remotely in working with Michael. And the two of them just did an amazing job of, of preserving everything and, and keeping it running and improving it. I gotta say, there's some improvements, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Mike left his mark. 
<laughs> not every single one I agreed with, but yeah. 99.9% of them I did. And uh, he did a wonderful job, and he just took the, the whole responsibility away away from me. And that's pretty much that's all I have to say on that. It, it was it was a team effort, without yeah. without doubt. Uh, Allison was instrumental. My my, my sister's daughter. Um, she's a very very organized person, and. Yeah. I don't know if you picked up on this yet, but my dad and I are a little bit similar uh, in our strengths and some of our weaknesses and organization is not among, uh, it's not in the strength column, we'll put it that way. Yeah. So Allison, from a business perspective, was extremely helpful in that. And uh, and my mom, you know, my yes. mom, um, she just has a very, she's one of the most even keeled people. So business, personal, in whatever realm, she was just, she was the rock of the family without question. Uh, calmed us down when we needed to be calmed down and, and um, whatever we were able to accomplish to keep the business viable and, and keep their income and keep them and, and as equally uh, of equal importance have him be able to relax and focus on what was important or what is important uh, at the time you know focusing on health um, certainly wasn't any one of us more than any any other you know that was uh, we came together in all, all parts of that. And, in, and and with regard to the business planning, I know you kind of alluded to, you know, was there any uh, thought of succession or, or any thought of, uh, if this doesn't go well, and um, I can tell you from this category, no. You know, was, I remember when the surgery was, the operation was scheduled in it was November, right? He said, oh man, that's rental season. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll be back two, three weeks yeah. after, no problem. I'll be back in full swing. And I'm, I'm like, yep, great. You know, that'll work out well in my head. I'm going, oh man. <laughs> he was um, to say optimistic would be a, a gross understatement that it was gonna just be done. <laughs> Maybe that was the motivation to make sure you were ready for rental season. You know, with that time frame. You know, I I just see it a lot. You know, with families. You know, doing this eight years that um, you know no one likes to talk about death in general. Not just about pancreatic cancer, but right, we all die, right? And those are, and I've seen it from friends and from when I was in the financial services business, like, you know, you have a loved one die and there's no will and no one knows what to do with the money, you know, or, you know, burial, you know, and stuff. So I think those are, uh, those are very difficult conversations and it's not like we sit around a table at dinner and go, okay, honey, like when you die, what would you like? Or how would you have this? You know, and, and I know that's a far extreme, right? But there are also conversations, you know, from a health perspective and even as we were talking about business, you know, there's been families I know where, you know, loved ones have gotten sick and there's no business plan in place. And like, you know, businesses then end up just, you know, competition comes in and takes away their business. And, you know, businesses really suffer sometimes when there's not those types of discussions ahead of time, you know, which is important. Or if there's not the right people in place, you know, ahead of time as well, you know, which can be a challenge. So um, I appreciate the feedback because that is important, you know, and I think one thing um, that I noticed here early on is the bond here with, you know, Michael and Ray, you know, in terms of, you know, really the rock and leaning on. And I've always said to people, like, you got to have a support system. And that's really, really important is you have you know, people in your back, you know, in your, in your court or whoever your, your, your tribe is, whatever terminology you want to use, but those people that you can rely on when things get really tough. And, um, you know, there's something special here that I'm noticing, you know, with you guys. So I appreciate you guys sharing that with our audience. Ray, how has pancreatic cancer changed your life? Good, bad, or indifferent? I would say, um, obviously, it was you know it was tough on my family, so that was that was a, a challenge that 
that I had. And I, you know, I, again, I try to minimize that as much as I can. There were times when I was a little bit hurting and I would not make that known at that time. So mm -hmm. I, wanted, I wanted them to feel as comfortable as they could with that. I gotta say, I've always appreciated life. I've lost a lot of family members over the years and I don't take a, a day for granted. And I'd say mm -hmm. that's, an, even though I've always had that philosophy, I'd say that's been enhanced even a bit more. Um, it's, I'm so appreciative every day when I get up and I go for my run or I'll go about my work and I come home at the end of the day and I know that I've you know I've been able to get through the get through the day and I'm very grateful I'm very grateful and appreciative and you know I do feel I do say I do want to say that I feel so appreciative that I don't know if you've seen that movie where they said pay it forward mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that I've been trying to do on a small scale not so much officially as Project Purple but when, it, when I know anybody who's sick with cancer, uh, the first thing I, I try to do is have the conversation and let them know that, you know, there'll be some down times, but you will get through this. And, you know, you, you know you've got to, you know, count on your family, count on your friends, keep that attitude positive. Don't sit on that recliner and be, become, you know, despondent and feel that this is the end for you. Um, I think it's, it's uh, you know, it's given me even, even more optimism in my life. I feel very positive about that. And I feel that I have a, I have a role now to play. And uh, just recently, one of Mike's friends became a little ill with a with a different cancer, and you know we made contact right away. He made contact with me, and we started talking. And I think he, you know, understood some of the things that I went through, and it, you know I know he appreciated that. I had a neighbor with lung cancer, and same similar situation. And I try to reach out to anybody who is sick, particularly with pancreatic cancer. But I'm happy to talk about any any disease because. So much as the attitude, your family, your support, your follow-up, you know, there's so many, the four or five factors that have to, you know, come into play. So I guess I don't need to be round about and answer your no. question, but uh, I would say... And you just answered another question because I was going to ask you, you know, has there been anything that pancreatic cancer has given you in a positive way? Right. Again, I would say it's, it's given me a, a, even even a greater appreciation for life and knowing that we all have something to... Um, to give back when we go through a situation like this, that you're you're morally obligated to help others in any way that you can who are suffering similar um, types of fate, and uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm just uh, appreciation, gratitude, and um, the will to, to help others are probably the, the biggest gifts that I that I've received from uh, from this disease. It gives you a certain ability too. Uh, when you're a pancreatic cancer survivor and you, and you talk to someone who's recently, recently diagnosed, particularly in person, we've had a couple uh, occasions to go to lunch with some uh, uh, one of my wife's co-workers. Uh, her mother was diagnosed and we had a lunch with her. And um, I can just say from, from the outside, from being a family mm -hmm. member, had I had that opportunity upon his diagnosis, that would have been tremendously valued. Because at that point, you know, again, and I'm, I'm the first to admit that I spent way too much time researching uh air quotes if this isn't on video um and it's it's all just just horrible information it's doom and gloom. You know, it really it really and truly is and just to have one person to talk to that would that would have been able to say to me hey i had a family member that had it uh had the operation you know five years ago we're doing great uh or even better yet you know once you actually are a survivor you've got now now the ability to talk to somebody and say yeah, yeah i had that a few years ago and, the, and your nonchalant uh minimizing approach to it I've seen firsthand it, 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 it give hope and, and motivation to others. And I, uh, it's only something you can only have that dramatic an effect when I think when you're actually a survivor yourself. I mean, well, there's a stark reality of it. And I don't mean to cut you off. You know, I mean, I think there's a stark reality. And 
the doom and gloom is the reality, right? right? But I think the one thing that I've just heard from, you know, Ray say about having hope and, you know, we all get knocked down, right? Like everyone always gets knocked down. I don't care what you do. No one's ever on top. <laughs> um, but it's, I think it's more compelling how you get up and how long you stay up, right? And how many times you get up when you get knocked down. And that's really the key. And some people we know physically can't, and that's a reality. And, you know, with this disease, that's there's some things that are completely out of their control. But the things that are in your control, if you can control those, you know, I think you'll you'll have a, a greater outcome and hopefully a successful outcome. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just really, really inspiring though to hear that from survivors. And that's what we need more of, you know, and that's where I think this is really critical for our listeners at home to listen to what you're saying. If there's people battling, like they could be the next Ray, like they could get through this. There is hope. You just, I think proper attitude, support system, good doctors, you get great doctors. That's, that's tremendous. You know, I never miss an opportunity to tell people about my disease uh, because, and not this, and not this, this kind of, point out that I'm a tough guy and I've survived this thing, I've beaten it. I pointed out to say, look, this is a, these are d d diseases that can be handled, they can be defeated. And I, you know, I tell people all the time, and they're all, they hear the, the term pancreatic cancer and their eyes open wide and you know, you're alive. Yeah, and this is what, you know, people survive this and they do very well with this and they come back stronger than, stronger than ever. Uh, and that's, you know, I, 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 I speak to people all the time unsolicited about this. And uh, and I, and they, someone always has a story somewhere in their family. Yeah. And if you can, you know, can you talk to my mother? Can you call them up? Here's my number. Here's my cell. Here's my email. Please, I want to talk to them. And I will I will go anywhere that I can within reason, to, you know, to talk with people. But it's 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 somewhat of a gift that I've been given that I've I've had this disease. I've survived it, and now I know that that this is my one of my roles in life to help whoever I can and let them know that this is a defeatable a disease that can be defeated no doubt about it it's awesome great stuff how is your life like now yeah, it's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> what's your daily routine like right my daily routine is listeners at home let's share what you do daily i know you well in all seriousness and this is a serious question like when i say like how is your life now like if you had to look back how has it changed uh you know uh, for good bad again and different since before diagnosis to what you did yesterday. Okay. I would say overall, my life is wonderful. Um, I get up every morning, six days a week. I either, Michael and I either lift weights on three days a week and I start my day off with a good weightlifting session with Michael or I go running the other three days and I rest on the Sabbath. Uh, not a religious guy. Yeah. I do believe in faith. And, I, and I, I do want to say religion and faith are huge help in, in uh, defeating this disease. I can't think how many people were praying for me and think of me, that was a huge help. Um, but my day um, it, you know, basically starts out with that and then I have, um, I go out and I do my, I work on properties, so I work on my properties. Again, I, I'm always looking for opportunities to find someone who is, I'm not searching out people, but if I hear of anybody who's sick, I, I want to get that information out to them right away. How much change? That's a, everything is positive as far as I'm concerned. I, I survived a, a disease that I think more and more and more people are going to survive as, as time goes on. I think in the next 10 years, I think we're going to make dramatic strides in this disease just with the technology and everything. In terms of downsides, there haven't been many. Um, diet well, or anything? Yeah, well, my diet has changed, and I'm lucky because... Um, what happened was uh, when they take out your pancreas, um, you tend to have a problem becoming diabetic. I was mm -hmm. never diabetic before. Wow. Now I'm diabetic. Fortunately, I'm a meat eater, and I love to eat 
massive amounts of meat and vegetables, and that's what I eat now because if I even look at a cup of rice, my blood sugar goes through the roof. So I've, I found a little bit more as I'm work. the more I'm working out, I can tolerate a little bit of rice, a little bit of bread, but generally speaking, 90% of my diet is meat and vegetables. And I, it's funny, I went to my, uh, I go to a, um, a diabetes doctor now, mm. and they asked me what I was eating, and I told them, and I, I, I said, I eat a lot of meat. And she said, you eat lean meat, a lot of lean meat? I said, no, I eat fatty meat, I love fatty meat. I said, the fatty meat, the barbecue. better. You yeah, like a lot of barbecue? Oh, I do, all of that. And she said to me, well, don't you have high cholesterol? I said, no, take a look at it. She looked at it, and she said, wow, it was like, it was like you know, dramatically low oh, at a yeah. or something. And I, but I mean, for me, that has changed. But fortunately, being a meat eater, I got to say, I do miss some desserts. I do miss having some rice or you know a sandwich, but I, I can now I can get away with you know once every week or so I can have a little sandwich or I can have a little on a Saturday night. I'll pay a little bit with the diabetes because you know you have to be careful with that. But I, I'd say that's probably the the only change, and it hasn't been a dramatic change. I mean, you have some. I've had a couple a uh, couple little you know residual effects from the surgery. I have I have some numbness in my feet. Yeah. It's not a neuropathy, but I have some numbness and I have some soreness. And but everything that I have from this, I guess besides the diabetes and even the diabetes, what I I would consider a small price to pay for being alive, a very small yeah. price. So it's it's all in the scheme of things, it's all very minor. Very and minor. when you did treatment, you were on chemotherapy pre and post or just post? Uh, no, I, yeah, it was pre and post. I started off with uh, the uh, full furanol, yeah. which uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I asked them and they told me it was about a 9.6 in yes. terms of intensity. But I was very fortunate. I, I, I was very fortunate throughout the treatment that I, I think I got sick maybe once uh, during that whole time of the course of the full furanol. I did have a bit of nausea that stayed with me, but they give you some medication that helps with that. Well, there are some foods now that I really can't look at, um, to be honest with you. I like certain, uh, like I, I can't look at beef jerky anymore. <laughs> I can't look at a couple, yeah, because I, I had, I associated that with my chemo. Yeah. And uh, certain rules, like a, a, uh, those hard rules, I think I went to call brioche, I believe. I can't, I can't look at those either without feeling a bit nauseous. But in the scheme of things, the, the negative effects on this have been um, almost, almost too small to mention. They, they've been, they've been almost insignificant. Um, you know, a little bit of numbness, a little bit of that, but I, I will trade that off any day for uh, being on this side of the earth. Yeah. So it's, it's been very minimal, the, the negative, uh, you know, emotionally, physically, everything. I, I keep a lighter weight now. I used to be around 260, I, around 230 now. So that's probably good. That's probably a positive yeah, thing. Yeah, that's too. definitely a positive thing. So uh, overall, uh, got, got all my hair back. I lost a bit of hair, but that was kind of fun. I was hoping to go totally bald. You <laughs> <laughs> can actually see right to my mustache, to my face. And, oh, wow. Uh, but, but, you know, again, the, the effects, the, the long-term effects have just been almost negligible. You, you know, but, I, you know, th some things will happen. You will, you know, you can get diabetes. I don't think, I don't yeah. know if everybody gets it. So, you know, it depends how you treat it. You, have, you know, you have to be aware of that. And yeah. You can't be eating, you know, cakes and candies. And, you, yeah. know, you have, you know, so there's some limitations. Uh, as Clint Eastwood said, a man's got to know his limitations. And those are, those are some of my uh, limitations. But again, in the scheme of things, almost insignificant. How would you define if I if I gave you a sheet of paper, give you a pen, and I asked you to write out your definition of pancreatic cancer? What would it be? I would say it would be something that you need to get control of rather quickly. What you need, how, how would I define it? I would define it as a disease that you need to pull all your weapons together for. You need to make sure. Hopefully, you're blessed with a family like I was. Um, friends, um, hopefully you're blessed with an attitude, go for the best care that you possibly can, keep your attitude strong, 
And I guess I would define it as something that could could be very disastrous to you, but something that um, you, with any kind of luck and um, you know a strong attitude and a great family, can be defeated and should be defeated. It's just a matter of uh, you know the five components of perhaps luck, early intervention, great care, great family, great attitude, and uh, just a, a real stubborn. I am a pretty stubborn guy, and you have to be. Uh, I think that that was very uh, very helpful to me. So you, you kind of need to marshal all your forces. So I guess it's it's something that um, that is a bit shocking when you hear about it because we know that the statistics, although getting better, are still uh, still a bit daunting. Uh, so I would describe it as something that you have to be aware of, but don't let it sink its talons into you. Don't let it take control of you. Take control of the disease. Handle it how you want. For me, it was humor, my family, laughing, joking. That was the way we handled it. Everybody would, would have different approaches, but that was very... Uh, that worked for you. Very, very efficient for me. Mike, how would you define it? From the caregiver's perspective, actually, so we're taking that, you know, not as a, as a patient who's gone through it and survived it, but from your perspective. Uh, def- I mean, to define the, the disease, I mean, I guess I, my, my misconceptions about it were that it was uh, all but a sure thing, that, that it, you know, initially, all but a sure thing that he wasn't going to walk away from it. Um, and that became apparent even well before the operation became apparent that, you know, he wasn't embracing that mentality, nor should anybody else in the family. Um, so, you know, I think it's mischaracterized in a lot of ways. The statistics are what they are and, and they are horrible. Um, but you know, it, again, to, to, whether it's a, you know, five or 10, I hate even to get into the specifics, but whatever the percentages are, just realize that, you know, I always almost, almost joke around and sometimes I'm, I think we have to be cautious of when we're, you know, we do use a lot of humor. Oftentimes, I think in the hospital, we felt badly because we'd be, we'd be there in the chemo room and we're, we're joking around. Once in a while, we have to check ourselves and say, you know, not everybody here is having as good of a time as we are. Um, and I also feel this way about the, the comment that I'm about to make about the statistics. But I think when we figured out, I think it was a 5 or 10%, you know, five-year survival rate. At this point, you know, I don't think he was aware of it. But it was just like, oh, man, I, I pictured it in his mind, learning that information and him just feeling bad and saying, man, it really stinks for the other 90% of the people that, that aren't going to beat this because I'm not going to be in that category. Um, that was the mentality. Um, so this is a great question. It's a kind of a difficult one to answer. But to define the disease, uh, I would say you know, maybe don't give it the credit that the statistics might might uh, influence you to. I think that's a great answer, but it's something you just said, though. I think that's like the... And I, I mean, we've been doing this eight years. I've been in this eight years, right? Even longer. So, you know, my dad was diagnosed in December of 2008. So 10 years. I've had some association with this word called pancreatic cancer. And I, I guess I, I would be the foremost expert in the room from that prognosis or from that, you know, time span, even though I would say you're probably a bigger expert because you've beat it and you're surviving and thriving. But attitude is something that I've seen with everyone that I've met that is surviving and thriving. And, you know, I guess for the listeners at home, as we said before, I think, you know, hey, there's two ways you can look at this. Like you can, and you've said it many times, right? You could sit on the recliner and and when you say that, I think of Archie Bunker, right? (laughs) Sitting on the recliner, having his beer. And I know that's some humor to this, right? But that's the reality of it. Or you can get up and say, you know what? I'm not going to let this define us or define me. And I'm going to beat this. And those are the things, the attitude you have. You know, and everyone that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting that's been fighting this um, has had a similar trait to that. 
And there also is a reality of it, you know, statistically, right? But there's nothing to say that someone who's not listening, and if you are stage four, stage three or two or one, and you're having a tough time, that you can't be that person who is part of that statistic of beating this. Right, right, absolutely. It's just, and, and it's, and you should also, I think, selfishly accept that. There's nothing wrong with accepting that, right? Right. I mean, like that's something that I, I, you didn't say, but like you, like mentally, like you're gonna beat this thing. I'm gonna beat it, and you used humor to do that uh, as part of it, and naturally your family. But there's nothing to be selfish about that. That's not being selfish. That's living. That's life. Yeah, you know, I, I never mean to be cavalier or cocky about it, but my attitude was, no, this is uh, this is not going to take me. There's just no way that this disease is going to get me. You know, I kind of think of the, the first day I was getting my chemo and Mike and Allison called on the phone and they said, how's the chemo going? And I said, well, I'm sitting here in my recliner. I'm sipping on chemo and munching on Lona Dunes. Yeah. And that was that was the kind of the approach I took that this is, a, a, I don't want to say an inconvenience, but this is something that's not, it's not going to take me. Yeah, I just would give it. I would give it little respect, I guess, and I don't mean to be cavalier in saying that I treat the disease with little respect. But that was the approach that I took. Yeah, well, I think you have to. So, tough questions now. What gets you up in the morning? Uh, family, family, and family. Uh, the first. Uh, I couldn't have guessed that. <laughs> you know, I think that was pretty clear when we got here. Ray hands me uh, his speech that he did at World Pancreatic Cancer Day at Beth Israel, and you know, the first couple, uh, the first paragraph, you know, there's mention of family, you know, multiple times, and throughout the whole uh, two pages, it really is all about family. So right. that's that's it. I mean, you know, you, you have a responsibility as a parent take care of your kids even when they're bigger stronger smarter and better than you are you have a responsibility uh, to your family and uh and I, I, I know and that is really ingrained in, in us in all of us and uh, that that's that's what gets me out of bed in the morning and and I guess beyond that three four and five you know and equally important would be that you know I, I have responsibility other than my family even though that's first I have a responsibility to uh, to help as many people as I can and let them know that this is um, a disease that, as serious as it is, is uh, imminently defeatable. And it, it has to be, you know, you have to marshal your forces. You have to, as they said in the movie Cool Hand Luke, you have to get your mind right. And you do have to get your mind right. And I was always of that makeup. Like Mike said, maybe I, I don't go to the Google, go to Google and look and research all these things. I knew how I felt and I knew the direction I was heading and nothing was going to stop me. I used to play a lot of basketball. When I drove to the hoop, guys that like to step in front of me, and I kind of feel the same way about cancer. Don't step in front of me. I like that analogy as being a former basketball player. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. You'd be the first pick on my team. Like, uh, Ray, I should say. Didn't always make the layup, but he yeah. got it. <laughs> That's all right. That is true. That's all right. That is true. I like the tenacity and the hustle, though. All right. So uh, next tough question. We put you on... Stranded Island, beautiful place, uh, no internet, not that we need the internet. <laughs> That's fine with me. Uh, just beautiful weather all year round, but you're in the middle of nowhere. Um, what are the three things that you bring with you? Now that is a challenging question. <laughs> and it could be anything, material. The three things. I think it approaches from a survival point of view or, or, or actually a... Uh, 
a comfort level. So I guess if, if you're looking at survival, I would obviously uh, be looking for an adequate supply of food and water. Um, from that point on, um, shelter. And then I guess um, I guess the, the next thing would be uh, my memory and my feelings about my family and, and good friends, how important that is. Uh, that, would, that would sustain me quite a bit, knowing that um, not the best swimmer in the world. I kind of tend to sink like a rock when I'm going to try to float. But <laughs> my goal would be uh, to get off. We got to throw house. swimming into that. <laughs> Take away the running and throw swimming. <laughs> be a better swimmer. My my goal would be to, to be get off get off that island and, and get back to my family. But I guess the things I would take you know the essential essentials for survival and just the the memories of my, of my family, the knowledge that uh, that I would be coming back home to them, whether it's coming back home from a disease or coming back from home from an island. I'll be there. Awesome. All right, last question. And this is a tough one. We always save the toughest question for the last one. And this might take a little bit of thought. And, and you know, your life, and you've had multiple jobs, and you've gone through this traumatic experience of pancreatic cancer and thriving and living. So through your entire life, what has cost you the least but been the most valuable? That is, um, I'm glad you saved that for the end. What has cost me the least? I guess I, I hate to keep reverting back to this, but uh, I guess the idea that you can never put a price tag on your family. And uh, two greatest days of my life were when, uh, when Michael and Allison were born, and that is probably uh, the greatest gift that I've ever received in my life at a cost of uh, being able to love my wife and to have a family like I like I do. So I guess that would be uh, my answer. It's good stuff. Thank you. All right, Ray. Where can our listeners at home, as I get teary-eyed here, I uh, appreciate you being honest with us. Uh, I can find you if someone wants to reach out. I know we know he's not on social media. Uh, I don't know if we want to give out the office number or an email. What's the best way if someone wants to reach out to you and, and be inspired or have a talk with you, which if that's something you're open to doing, yeah. um, we'll put it out there. Be happy to help in any way I can. I'm going to talk to Mike. Communications <laughs> <laughs> director, yeah, yeah, Michael. And, uh, so there is actually a Facebook page. It's called the, the Big Ray Fan Club, which uh, before, during, and after this, uh, Big, Ray's, Big Ray's a nickname that, he, that uh, I think he was actually initially coined by Alice, yeah, by my sister. Uh, and it's, man, it's, it's taken on a, uh, a bit of a following because these, these sort of humorous and crazy antics uh, – have always been a part of his personality. So she's compiled, she, she continue, continues to compile uh, a lot of the sort of um, outlandish things and, that he says and does and puts it on this uh, website called the Big Ray Fan Club. And and uh, it's now, uh, you know, we've, we've posted some of the, um, the speeches re- relating to the pancreatic cancer thing. So certainly feel free to check that out for some inspirational stories or just a good laugh. Um, his email address is raybarbera at gmail.com. Um, also, if anybody uh, wants to reach out to me, oftentimes I'll help to, to set up a, a lunch or a call or a coffee, um, whether someone who's been recently diagnosed or family members of pancreatic or like he alluded to earlier, other types of cancers too. Um, my email address is uh, mr, as in Michael Ray, Barbara32 uh, at gmail.com. So feel free to call, uh, excuse me, to email either and um, we'll be happy to put you in touch. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys. Uh, This has been uh, pretty special uh, to say the least. And uh, Mike, appreciate you giving us 
uh, access to your conference room and sharing your perspective, uh, you know, what your dad's play. And Ray, thank you for a uh, pretty inspiring interview here. And for our listeners at home, hopefully, uh, like I said before, for those fighting um, and, you know, for those that are going through this, there's so much that they hopefully can take away from this interview that they themselves can put into their lives and get through this. So uh, I really appreciate it from all of us at Project Purple. You guys have been awesome to have on the podcast and love to get you back on at some point in the future, maybe talk a little bit more about something else and dive into a subject, uh, you know, maybe some more motivation. So thank you guys for being us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to thank you for all that you do with Project Purple. What a, what a wonderful thing that you're doing. And I know you have the personal, you know, uh, stake in this for so many, so many reasons with your dad and so much else. And I, I'm very grateful. And, and like Mike said, I wish that Mike was able to contact you guys when I was diagnosed because I know there was doom and gloom, but I'm very, very, uh, very happy and uh, very, very happy to know you and I'm so grateful that what you do and I'm going to continue to try to do it in my own small way. I will, may never run marathons, but if you want to run a slow three miles. <laughs> Maybe that's it. The Worcester, we come up to Worcester and do the, the slow three mile Ray run. Ray's throw, uh, Ray, I got to like wordsmith this. Ray's slow three mile run for pancreatic cancer. Slow and steady, baby. Slow and steady. I think that's it. So 2019. The big Ray 5K. The big Ray. Ray's pace race. Yeah. Ray's pace race. That's it. We're in it. We're in it. I'm telling you guys, 2019 in Worcester or in the Boston area, that's it. Big Ray's race pace. What was it, Sam? Ray's pace race. Ray's pace race. I like that. And the medal goes to not the fastest, like the winners. It'll be like Ray's pace. <laughs> we won't tell anyone before the race what that is. <laughs> That's awesome stuff. Uh, I, guys, this has been awesome. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully our listeners at home, like I said, can really uh, get the inspiration that I have here sitting here. I mean, like, this is awesome. I always say I have the best job in the world. And it's because of families like yous. Use uh, that doesn't even make any sense. It's because of families <laughs> like yours that I get the, the blessing. It's really a blessing to meet and get to know because of pancreatic cancer. So thank you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.